I have a question for you. <clears throat> How much are you worth? Like price-wise. How much are you worth? If you had to put a figure on it. I'm in debt. <laughs> I'm in debt. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm with you there. I want you to imagine that <clears throat> this is actually a true story. That there was a father who had lost his son. His son had been kidnapped. And he had put out a ransom for his son for $900,000. So this is everything that I own. Everything that I have comes to this sum. And I'm willing to give it all if someone can bring my son back to me. So he's walking the streets, looking desperately, putting up signs, hoping that he'll see his little boy. And then he's approached by someone. And this man comes up to him and says, <clears throat> Sir, I heard that you lost your boy. And he says, Yes. And I've heard that you have this mega reward for anyone that will return him to you. And he says, Yes, that's true, up to $900,000. And so the man says to the broken father, Hear me out. I have a boy. He looks just like your son, like you wouldn't believe how much he looks like your son. They're the same height, they're roughly the same weight, they have the same eye color and the same hair color, and they're exactly the same age. And listen, sir, I'd be willing to give you this son for only $20,000. You literally wouldn't really be able to tell the difference. And you'd save, what, $880,000. $20,000 and you can have a son just like your one. How many of you think the father took the deal? Why? But, but, but he looks just like his son though. I mean, I mean, people could come to the house and they could look in the pictures and then they could look at the son and never really know that it wasn't him. I think we're unanimous this afternoon in that the father doesn't accept the deal. He doesn't accept the offer. And the reason is why? Because that's not his son. And it doesn't matter how close this young boy looks to his son or what physical similarities they have. None of these things matter. What matters is that that is not his son. That is not his son. No one, listen to me now, no one on the face of the planet can take the place of that man's son. How much are you worth? Has a ransom ever been paid for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask for your spirit to be here with us this evening.
this afternoon, forgive me. And Father, we pray once again as we are, as we're having this, this physical food, that your word would become real in our lives. Bless us at this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible lists a handful of people, at least by name, as being friends of God. Anyone know who these might be? Friends of God. Abraham is one. Does anyone know the other? Moses and David as well. Here's something um, that I read a very long time ago, and, and, and I, I hope you can grasp this because it literally changed my entire life, and I don't say that in the cliche way. But I read this from, from one of my favorite Christian authors, and she said this, We were brought into existence because we were needed. We were brought into existence because we were needed. Not merely because we were wanted, not because we were an afterthought, not because God just ran out of ideas, not because the earth simply needed filling. You and I were made, we were created, we were brought into existence because we were needed. And if that is true, then it must be true that the one that actually needs us is God Himself. From one, from the day that I came to the realization that there was actually a God out there, it struck me almost instantly just how much I needed God. I mean, if He's there, it struck me just how much I needed Him. But you know, do you know what took a while? But when it hit me, just it hit me like a ton of bricks. How much God needed me. That's, that's, a, whole, that's a whole new paradigm. Because everyone will tell you, everyone will tell you, listen, you need God in your life. If, if God was in your life, then this would be different, and this would be different, and this would be different. You need to accept Jesus. My life changed when I realized how much God needed me. How far He was willing to go to pay for me. The Bible lists a few people as God's friends. Abraham, God's friend. Moses, God's friend. David, God's friend. But listen to me. Just because Abraham is God's friend, just because Moses and David are God's friends, doesn't mean that these, these friendship slots are all taken up. There's a place in God's heart that Abraham can't fill. There's a place in God's heart that even Moses, who was resurrected so that he could literally be with God, can't fill. There's a place in God's heart that David can't fill, that Enoch and Samson and, and Solomon and Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, there's a place in God's heart that they can't fill because there's a place in God's heart that has been specifically designed for you. And no one here can take that place. 
It's a U-shaped hole. And you might be thinking, well, that's just not possible. But you know what we're talking about here? We're talking... We're talking about the love of a parent. We're talking about the love of a parent. Something that oftentimes we can't even comprehend. But here's the thing. Here's something that I've just learned on my short journey. It's not about how much you can comprehend. You might think, oh, well, that, that love is just too great. I can't even understand it. Who said you needed to understand it? Can you comprehend how much air exists on this planet? Is your decision to breathe in and breathe out dictated to by your comprehension of the amount of air on this planet? No, you just breathe it. You can't comprehend it, but if there's something that you, that you do, it's you enjoy it. The sun, the great sun, is, is another glorious example of this. Did you know that the sun doesn't sit down before it comes up in the morning and, and do some quick mathematical calculations to see as to how many people are on the face of the earth so it knows just how much it needs to shine to warm everyone equally? No, it just shines. And it doesn't matter how many people are on earth at any given time, the sun, if we're in the same place, hits us as if we were the only one that it was designed to warm up. We're talking about the love of a parent. Anyone here have, let's see, five siblings or more? Five, anyone? Put your hand up. Don't be, don't be ashamed. One guy at the back, two. You've got five siblings or more. Let's see if we can get a few more. How about four? You've got four or more. Have you ever sat down? Or, or let, let's flip this around a little bit. Can you imagine, let's say your parent has, let's say your parents have just had child number three. And let's say your child number four. Can you imagine the parents sitting down when they realize that mommy is pregnant again? And, they're, and they're, it seems like they're having some sort of crisis. Like, oh no. What are we going to do? We already have three children. And we already have given all of our love to those three children. And so when the fourth one comes along... How are we going to make sure that it gets an equal portion of our love? How do we take the 33% that we've given to the other three children and now sort it out so that they all receive 25 each? That's not how love works, right? That's not how love works. The parents don't need to equally distribute chunks of their love. They found a way to love each child, hopefully, 100%. Right? A hundred percent. They don't need to divide it up. You may be thinking, well, there's way too many people here. There's way too many people in California alone. There's way too many people on the face of this planet for God to truly love me as much as you're telling me. But we're talking about a parent's love here. And it knows no bounds. It knows no ends. It doesn't matter how many children they are. They love each and every child as much, listen to me, as if they were the only one. As if they were the only one. There's a story in the Bible of a young man named Jacob. And Jacob runs away from God. 
He runs away from his family. He runs away from his purpose. He's literally in open rebellion against the Lord. And one night as he goes to sleep outside on a rock in the wilderness, he has a vision of a ladder. And this ladder is, is touching heaven and whilst also touching the ground. And there's many different lessons that we can get from this, from this short story. But here's the one that I've picked up. Here's the one that I've picked up. Right? It's a ladder. Right? It's not one of those UFO things that just beams you up. It's a ladder. And the bottom of this ladder touches the ground. There's no way that you can be any lower than that. There's some people that may look like they're right near the top. That there's only a few more steps to take. But for many of us, we're on the ground just, just sometimes not even aware that there is an actual ladder. But it's there. And it touches the lowest point. What's important is that you're at least somewhere on it. Even if it's just the first step. Jacob was blessed beyond measure. And he wasn't even on the ladder. He was just watching it. And he understood. The important thing is not that, that some people are the whole way up there. How on earth are you going to catch them? It's not a race. Hey, listen to this encouragement. The last shall be first. <laughs> There's people that are, that are literally, it seems, almost ready to just pull themselves up into heaven. And there's other people with just one, one foot on the bottom. Uh, last shall be first. It's not about necessarily right now how close you are. It's about are you making progress. And even if that progress is just one simple step closer to God, it's progress enough. It's progress enough. Jacob took that step. Jacob began to walk with the Lord. And if you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see the blessings that befell him. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the face of the earth. God loves you, listen to me, as if you were the only one. As if you were the only one, as if you were the only person to ever have existed. You may not be able to comprehend that, but you don't need to comprehend it. Just enjoy it. How can God, how can God need just one though? It's conceivable that God wants to save the entire human race. But how do you know for sure that He actually wants you? I want you to picture this scenario. Christmas time. One of the very few times of the year when the family actually gets together. For some of us, that's a bad idea. But it happens nonetheless. I want you to imagine there's two parents... Talking about the love of a parent here. Would you imagine that there's two parents and they have seven children? And all the children have grown up and they've all moved out. Christmas time is the only time when they get back together. And so mommy and daddy are there waiting on Christmas Day. They've invited all the children around for Christmas dinner and they hear a knock on the door. And in comes the oldest son. What should we call him? What's your name, sir? Christian. Christian, how about that? <laughs> in comes Christian. And the parents are so happy to see Christian. 
And they hug him and they greet him and they sit him down at the table in his seat. And then comes in the eldest daughter. What's your name, young lady? Valerie. Valerie. And in comes Valerie. Oh, and the parents are so happy to see Valerie. And they hug her and they kiss her and they take her to her seat on the table. And then the other four children come in and they're all greeted and they're all sat down. And in your mind right now, you're thinking this guy doesn't know math because two plus four doesn't equal seven, right? But that's the problem. Only six children come. The seventh one. Let's call him Harry. Anyone in here call Harry? Brother, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> they knew Harry wasn't coming. Harry's the rebellious one. Harry's the one that thinks that he doesn't need his family, that he doesn't need his parents, that he doesn't need his siblings. They knew Harry wasn't coming. And so they're sitting at the table and he doesn't show up. There's, there's no happy ending to the story, FYI. <laughs> and as they're there sitting and they're about to, to carve into their giant stock of tofu. Because <laughs> they're in Loma Linda, you know. A tear starts to trickle down the mother's face. And then the father says, oh, babe, don't worry. Don't cry, please. Listen, we got six out of seven. Six out of seven, that's, that's a good result. There's some people that only have two children and, and they lose one. It decides that it doesn't want to be part of the family. That's only 50%. We've got six out of seven. We've done a good job. Six out of our seven children still want us. How do you see this situation unfolding? Here's the thing. The fact that there's only one child missing from the table. The fact that there's only one child missing from the table brings even more pain to the mother's heart than if none of them showed up at all. It highlights the fact that there's one that got away. We're talking about the love of a parent. The Bible says in John chapter 15 that Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for you. For you. Not for everyone. For you. Can you imagine on that day when everyone is walking to their own little mansion and God has to stop outside one house and say, we're not going to need this one. They didn't show up. You think that God is just going to celebrate? Wow, look, look, we've got one billion people in heaven. But the one, the one that his heart longs for isn't there. I'm talking about the love of a parent here. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 that sin separates us from God. Sin what? It separates us from God. And this, I believe, is why God hates sin so much. Because it separates Him from the thing, from the ones that He wants, the ones that He needs, the ones that He loves the most. Sin drags us away from God.
in Israel, in ancient times, they had this thing called the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is basically this big giant temple where the people would come and they would bring a lamb if they had sinned and the lamb would be killed. Its throat would be slit. The blood would be taken in to the sanctuary. And there was all of these different symbolic meanings as to what this meant and what that meant and, and, and all of the things that it represented. But the one simple thing that no one could escape was this. That if you wanted forgiveness, you had to bring the lamb. And the lamb had to be without spot, without blemish. No broken bones, no, no marks, no disease. It had to be perfect. And here's the thing. No one else was going to kill that lamb for you. You had to take the blade. You had to put it by the throat of the lamb. And you had to slit the throat. You had to watch it bleed out. You had to watch the light in that animal's eyes just fade away. If you wanted forgiveness, you had to be the one to slay the lamb. I want to tell you of probably one of the most horrible stories I've ever heard in my life. It was of a father. Talking of a parent's love. It was of a father who one day was leaving home and he kissed his wife as he walked out the door. Kissed his son as he was running around the living room. Said, I'll see you guys this evening. He gets into his car checks his phone, gets everything ready. Then he reverses out of his driveway and goes over what feels like a speed bump, except there's no speed bumps in his driveway. His son wanted to say goodbye one more time. And he ran outside and dad didn't see him as he was coming out of the garage and ran him over. And his son died there and then. And I wasn't there, but I've heard it described. I've heard that as he walked into this, this overly packed funeral, everyone was quiet except one man. There was one man sitting on the front row that was completely inconsolable, that just could not stop crying. He was, he was a broken, broken man if ever there were some. No one could come to him. No one could comfort him. Because that man, even though it was an accident, that man knew it was his fault as to why his son isn't there today. He took the life of his own son. And there was nothing that anyone could say to that man to comfort him. You and I find ourselves in a similar situation. Except we didn't kill the son by accident. Sin is an actual choice. It's a choice that we make to choose me over God. It's selfishness expressed through actions. And when Jesus hung on the cross, He hung on the cross for our sins. Jesus didn't die by accident. Jesus, Jesus didn't fall onto the cross. He took the cross because you and I chose self. There's no accident really, is there? I want you to imagine another scenario. Because here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes we just don't see how serious 
our choices are. We don't see how deadly turning away from the Lord, we don't see how, how deadly sin can actually be. Can you imagine if I invited you over to my house and I was like, hey, do you want some tea? You know, we're from England, we do tea. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll have some tea. And so I turn the kettle on and I'm there. And as, the, as, as you see the steam coming out of the kettle, this metal kettle, mind you, I just put my hand on the kettle. Just on it, like on the metal part. And you're like, like what are you doing? And I'm there and you can see steam coming through my hand. And I'm like, boy, this kettle's hot. I mean, you might not be able to tell right now, but it's literally burning the skin on my hand. So hot. And you're just like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't even know. But take my word for it, the thing's hot. It's burning. Can you hear the bubbling inside? What conclusion are you going to come to? This guy's lost his mind. He's insane. What am I doing in his house? Right? That's what it looks like to others. That's what it looks like to others when we're telling them just how bad sin is. We're there and they can see the damage that it's doing, but we're not letting go. We're telling people, oh, you need to really change your life, but we're not letting go ourselves. We're being burned. We can hear the bubbles, but we're still holding on. Oftentimes, we don't realize just how much damage we're doing until it's too late. We don't know when we're being separated from God just how far we've gone. Let's forget the kettle thing ever happened. Let's start over again. Let's say you came to my house and you're walking through my house and I'm giving you a tour. Here's this room and here's that room and you can come in here and we have all of these nice things. And then clumsily you kind of misstep or you don't realize where you're standing and you knock over this, this flower vase. And it drops on the floor and it smashes. And you look at it and you're like, ooh, I'm so sorry. But deep down you know it doesn't really look that expensive. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I really didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Um, I'll buy you a new one. And then I look at you and say, hmm, that is a one-of-a-kind vase that cost my great-grandmother $10,000. Let me ask you a question. Has your conception of how bad a mistake that was changed at all? Anyone? But the action didn't change though, right? The action, you just, you just broke the vase, it's the same vase. What's changed though, what's changed is that now you've realized just how much it was worth. And now that you've realized how much it's worth, now, now you actually feel it. Whereas before it was just a broken, maybe a, a $10 vase, but now you see. Now you see that this, that this wasn't just any old vase. That it was a unique, one-of-a-kind vase. Now you see the cost. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to show you that the choices that we make, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. 
Jesus didn't die on the cheap. It was expensive. And though we can come here and claim, yes, that the cross that Jesus sacrificed was for us, we first have to come to the realization that it was by us. Christ's sacrifice was by us before it was for us. When you realize that it was actually your choices, it was actually your sins that put Jesus on the cross, then you can claim the forgiveness from it. The cross was done by us before it was done for us. Jesus suffered the ultimate shame for me. The movies don't do it justice. See, in the movies, he's hanging up there with a garment around his waist. The Bible tells me that they, they gambled for it, that they let the Son of God hang from a tree naked for me. Here's the thing, and this is the last thought that I want to leave you with. Forgiveness, listen to me, forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes from Calvary's cross is not a mere act of just pronouncing you innocent though you were guilty. As some put it, it's not merely a judicial act. When you've been forgiven, it's not like coming to court knowing full well that you're guilty and the judge says, hey, you can leave, you can leave as if you were innocent, just go free. That's not what forgiveness is. That's not the power of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say you're innocent, you can go free. No, the gospel says you're guilty. The gospel says, yes, you have in fact done it, but someone else is going to pay the price. But listen, you're still not just going to leave free. The difference between accepting Christ's forgiveness and just maybe accepting mine or yours forgiveness is that if you've wronged me and I forgive you, then you leave the same person. You leave the same way you were when you came to me, just without the guilt. That's not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel, the promise of Jesus Christ dying for your sins, is not that you'll just be forgiven, but that you can be changed. That you don't have to leave the same way. But that you can leave with the power and the confidence that you don't have to keep making the same bad choices and decisions over and over and over again, but Jesus Christ himself can help you. The ransom has been paid. What Christ wants now is the reunion. That's what He's working towards. What are we working towards? Father in heaven, Lord, we recognize that your love for us is great. And maybe we can't comprehend it, but we don't have to. We just have to accept that it was for us. Father in heaven, I pray for those in this room that have not made that decision to accept you yet. I've been there. I know the struggle. I know how hard it can be. But Father, if you can save me, you can save anyone in this room. We're dealing with a Father's love, which knows no end. 
a mother's care which knows no limits. Father, help us to see the value that you've put on our life. The cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ's sacrifice, Lord, shows us just how much you value us. And there isn't a single person on the face of this planet that can take our place in your heart. So, Father, I pray that we would accept that ransom that has been paid for our lives and that we would look forward to the day where we will be reunited. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.